everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 577, recording today on... What is today? Today is Wednesday, the uh, 22nd of May, 2019. Uh, we're two weeks out from... Uh, three weeks out from uh, from Superbooth. It still feels... I, honestly, it's almost, it was almost as tiring as Nam, I think, without the jet lag. So goodness knows what it'd be like for all our American friends who are there. It's just so... It's such an intense period. Uh, this is the podcast to do with music technology and uh, controllers, software, synthesizers... Uh, music technology, all of the things surrounding the creation, making, performing of music, modern contemporary music or any other kind of music you like. I want to say hello to everybody in the chat room. We've got people in the YouTube chat room. And I see Battery Automated Orchestra and Ear Monkey uh, music's in there. Who's uh, Also Jim, who was there with us at Superbooth. Nice to see you both there. And also our friends in the IRC chat room. We've got these sort of old school chatties and the kind of... Uh, the the YouTube people. You can choose whichever one you want to go to. It's entirely up to you. Anyway, let's say hello to our guests because everybody else is on tour, doing stuff. I know you're about to go on tour, aren't you? Or are you about to do some gigs? So you're off to rehearse. So today we were lucky to get you. Mr. Gaz Williams. How are you? Hello. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Festival season starting up now in the UK. So there's a, they've got a bunch of gigs, um, including my old band, Rocket Gold Star, which we're playing. That's uh, playing on Sunday, which is amazing. So we only play like maybe once or twice a year or maybe two or three years may go by when we don't play so it's a real pleasure to actually get to play but it's really really difficult music oh my goodness coming back to it and just having to relearn it because there's a three-piece band and we have to just uh, all really work really hard to make this big sound so three-part vocals and Frank plays keys and guitar and sometimes at the same time he's of <laughs> chords and um and we were always of this idea of a rock band being like, I guess, like Rush or something like that, you know, which was trying to make the whole thing. And, you know, backing tracks would be an anathema to that whole approach. You know, it's all the band is always about multitasking. Uh, it's crazy. And for coming back to it, it's really, really hard to. And now you're thinking, actually, maybe we could just. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, well, but I mean, it's it's just weird. It's sort of I, I realise that it's a completely unfashionable way of thinking because you know I've asked people about this and sort of uh, you know, I'm talking about augmenting like a band with backing tracks or you know this this like heroic notion of being as live as you possibly can, doing every single bit, seat of the pants, you know, and making it more you know difficult, making it difficult. You have to sweat. You have to really kind of you know get it so how do you I, I, mean, I got a question how do you where do you document or is that just from your recordings or you just kind of all get together and have a collective memory of how it used to go and then learn oh. from that how do you really yeah it? <laughs> i've been just I, i've actually made a big cubase project and put all the songs in i've been trying to sort of play along with them again but uh they just chop and change like nobody's business the songs you know and then it's the trying to remember how to sing it because the singing is the hardest bit to get right because you really need to be so focused to, to get a nice tone well I'm not a great singer I've never been a great singer but I've had to really you know really work hard at that part of it but usually that's the bit that gets the least sort of rehearsal in a way you know you go over all the parts and and leave the vocal ah that's always the hardest bit and then well I, when I it's listen easy, back to, it's it's easier when you know what you're doing with musically, isn't it? And if you haven't played for a while, then you're going to be 
it's yeah, like, it's it is like there is this thing if you're playing and singing at the same time there's this bit where the playing has to be so second nature you it just is you 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 just do it it just is you know you don't think about what you're doing you just do it you are that part the part and it's all as one and that's the way to really to do it for real you know but if you're having if you're having to think oh what's next what do i do what you know just that sort of uh, those those decisions they really interfere with that sort so, of belief. okay here's a question for you are you are you dropping any of the more difficult to cut to, to play songs <laughs> just saying actually let's do the slow one instead uh, i don't know we haven't actually decided yet what the set's going to be so um we got three days to get it together uh and uh, three days rehearsal and then a festival so it's going to be a bit of a a bit of a kind of you know just we're gonna have to just go full on for it um wow, but it's a cool. lot of work it's a lot of work it is a lot of, it is a lot of work but there is a thing about it as well it's that i, I for me i've always been like an artist and art that's musician and that's that's what i that's my main thing you know it always has been even i've done lots of production stuff this kind of artist in me has always been my main driving thing and it's it's a really weird motivation because it is really motivated for the art because it never this would never be successful music it's way too strange you know so it's never going to it's never going to kind of get popular. So why do I put all of this into it? It's a sort of art. It's an art, though, honestly. One day, people will realise, Jeepers, they were one of the best bands of all time. And I tell you, we are. And I believe Well, that's that. one way. You sure there's not a little bit of ego in there as well, perhaps? You've got to have a bit of that. But yeah, I, you I got don't to. know. It's more of a... But I, I, mean that a with a, I mean that with a small e, because, I mean, we all... Yeah. <laughs> We all do. I mean, we're doing this. You know, this is about. There's about a certain amount of ego in this. There's a certain amount of ego in whatever I do online because you get feedback from it and it feeds. If it's affirmation, isn't it, to a degree? I get really done in about it though because you know ego can be such an unpleasant quality, but sort of belief, just or, or an unwavering belief in what you do. Uh, and I'm like just really passionate about stuff. And when cool things are happening, I'm really dead excited to talk about it but i'd hate that to be you know sort of being egotistical it, it's just it's just i can't really contain my excitement so you know so like for instance like say take rocket gold style when we've played a, a you know great gig uh we only ever play great gigs if if i'm honest you know uh because we don't play very often and the gigs are really good but i want I don't know when that crosses into something like ego. I don't know. I don't mm. really know. I, do you know what interest, I mean? Yeah, it's, it's an of, interesting thing. I mean, because, of, like mm. I say, anybody in any creative industry or any with, mm. you know, it's a, a lot of it's about that, but not projection of, it's feeding of, which is is kind of different. a different thing, I think. I think everybody needs to feed their ego to a degree. Otherwise, you have no self-confidence. And you have to have some self-confidence. Well, you don't have to, but I mean, right. if you want self-confidence, it helps you. You sort of need to be able to feed it to a degree. Because, I mean, why, why do any of us who want to perform in front of people want to do it? I mean, why? Why? What? What's the? What is the point? You know, what is the point of it? What Affirmation. Is the, 
Affirmation. It all comes from parental ignorance. All, it course, all comes from parents, I reckon. <laughs> and whether or not, and it may not be something. It's maybe something really sub self subconscious that you have no idea about. You know that you might have been into something that your folks weren't that interested in, or they were, but you didn't get enough back, or whatever. I mean, it, it, without getting too deep about it, I think that it, mm. it, it, that's where it comes down to. Or sisters, or brothers, or you know, people that are close to us who have who have perhaps not been interested when we were kids. But it's, I think that. I think that's maybe a different <laughs> podcast, but you know, it is. I think no, it's, it's a, good though. It it's is a, good it's a though. fascinating subject. It is because you know all of us want to make music, don't we? And like you know, we're you know, I, I think about this. I've, I've gone on about this in the past, though. This idea that your your music taste is your inalienable right. It's yours. Your music taste is yours, and no matter what anyone else says and whatever anyone else thinks, your music taste is still yours. And you know and and making music is 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 almost like the ultimate celebration of your music taste in many ways, isn't it? You know, trying to sort of make something that just ties everything that you really love together, and then but that becomes quite intimidating as well because you know we have we set ourselves very high. It's really, I think it's really interesting. I think it drives a lot of people because by the same token, if you have kids and we've all, you know, those of us who have or have been around kids, you want to tell them they're great all the time. And sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes that song they sang was rubbish or the picture that they drew was really <laughs> bad, you know. But if you tell them, but if what happens if you tell them yeah. they're great all the time, then will they mm -hmm. ever try very hard because they're not trying to seek mm. any kind of, you know, what does that do? Would that damage their potential for creativity because they think they're great when they're not? You know, you've seen it all, that we've seen it, we see it all the time on talent shows, people come on and they have no idea that they're not absolutely terrible, you know, <laughs> and then they are humiliated because they've got no I, sense of self. Well, and we know this story with my terrible. Yeah, we know that. The, we yeah. I wish I could remember. I, I, the, I should have a table with where I could where I could <laughs> say that was from episode so. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll dig it but up. That, yeah, but that yeah, that was uh, Seb, Anton Seb, really quickly. Uh, Anton Seb on um, on the, the X Factor auditions, one of the most famous uh, abysmal auditions, and I'm completely responsible for making a production where we fixed his voice up to make him sound much better than he was. It's that recording that got him onto the show, bloody blah. When I saw it happen, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, oh my goodness. Anyway, well, hey, I have talked about that before, but uh, all you need to do what is I done, type yeah. in Ant, Ant and Seb exactly. into YouTube. Exactly. Oh my god! Oh my or god. indeed, or yeah. indeed. Well, the other thing that's quite interesting. I mean, we could bring this broaden this out a bit because uh, we had the Eurovision Song Contest, didn't we, at the weekend, which yes. is massive. Good I mean, what I always what uh, if you follow us on Twitter every year, most years anyway, I sit down, have a bit of a drink, type things I shouldn't do into my Twitter stream, and criticise or or critique the acts on each one. You know, and I I. I and uh, it's just a, tra a tradition. You may or may not it's like it. it. It's fine. It's tradition. <laughs> but this time they've changed it all around a bit. So there were, you know, there are various people. We all, and I found out that Great Britain get in every year because they put more towards the TV budget, or they they've reached a threshold, so they don't have to qualify. So that's why we never really seem to have anything any good, or it doesn't seem to really kind of tick the box. And Interesting. Whatever you think about Eurovision, you know, it it's a bit of fun, mm. and, and I think there is. Uh, what's started to happen now is um, the music, This I'm digressing a bit, but we haven't got anything to talk about, so we may as well carry <laughs> no, on. we have. We this have. is the good stuff. Okay, so so the um, the thing about it is, is the uh, what's happening now is bands or 
people are, are, are taking hits that have already been in Europe, had a certain amount of success and entering them so that the public mm. vote will always be massive because it's a familiar song. And that's a bit unfair because you don't always get the cheese. You know, I think personally, Norway or Australia should have won this time because they were complete. It should be a novelty record. You know, it shouldn't be a great pop record. It should almost be a novelty record. And that's the fun of it. But it wasn't. But in the middle of all that, Madonna performed. I don't know if you saw that. Madonna performed. No, uh, it was rumoured that she got a million quid or a million dollars to do it. She was on. And Madonna, you know, Madonna has made some fantastic records. You know, she's toured. She's, but she's never been a particularly strong singer. And so she put on this sort of huge thing and there was something wrong. I mean, her mon either her monitoring was off, which I, th I suspect would happen, because oh. she, was, she was so pitchy. And then oh there was the, that was the first half of the song where she was singing like a prayer because it was thirty years since like a prayer, so she did that. Hey, this and she is did amazing. it while Maybe... she did it. She did it while walking down some stairs because I remember that she had a problem this... with some stairs. She's that's amazing. She's bringing it back. All these like generations of people who've only ever heard autotune. I think it's amazing that she's done that. <laughs> oh, hey, Madonna, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, but back, she was making but, it real. But the oh, downside oh. was it wasn't so hot. <laughs> And it sounded oh, to me, right. and then when when they flipped into the next the, the the tune that she was there to promote, which is her new stuff, which she's teamed up with a new producer, I forget his name, um, but it was sort of like a kind of reggae sort of vibe, very auto tune. But the thing was, the monitoring was off on the first bit, so she was pitchy, and the the auto tune was really hard on her voice, so it was kind of going, <laughs> you know, it wasn't actually nailing the note. It was, oh dear! And I think some, I I, oh. I suspect what because the guy was fine and his monitoring was fine, so. I think what happened was oh. she'd maybe her ego taking it back to our original subject had got, <laughs> had got the better of her and she pissed somebody off real bad who was in her tech team because there's no way to a live 200 million Ooh. people audience that you would let that kind of thing happen. It would be impossible. Okay. To Ouch. So I think she's, wow. I think that was a parting gift from one of the, her techs. That's my theory. Blimey. Yeah. But you didn't Amazing. see it, so so you'll have to take my word for it. <laughs> oh gosh, I I sort of want to see it now, but that you know, I, it is interesting though, isn't it? That people just have like lost the ability to hear non-pitched vocals, or is that's probably not true though, is it? Well, no. The, the thing songs. the thing was the thing the thing is, you know, all the Eurovision singles or most of them are actually really good singers. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're really good singers. It's a brilliant production rehearsal. You know, they generally. They generally get the monitoring bang on. Could and they you can really hear themselves? But could compared you... to Madonna, they were brilliant. Okay. She was. She was just. Could you hear anything? Well, could you hear anything to do with pitch though on on the on the other singers? Did you no, hear? No, I, I couldn't hear any pitch. Well, or rather, did they're, you hear any supporting vocal? There are some f supporting vocals. Sometimes they'll support a vocal, but generally speaking, right. the, the, I think anyway, the, the the vocal is is live. It's live. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, without any augment augmentation. I don't think mm. so. I mean, there might be. I mean, it might be if there is. I mean, it should might be very be, subtle. Is should it be like a legal requirement for that people you've got to, to be able to sing? Well, no, that that you declare any kind because it's a it's a peculiar one that though because like if you use a compressor in a particular way in your vocal, mm. it can really help you sustain and and get your pitch right. You know, so it's sort of like. That compressor is kind of not is, is artificially messing around with my voice to help my pitch. Mm. Is that any worse than use like using like an yeah, auto tune? Okay, yeah, but then we're getting to you. You shouldn't only be able to <laughs> sing to that many people with no amplification, acoustic <laughs> instruments background. It has to be totally pure. There's a piano on yeah. stage and a megaphone, yeah. and that's all you get. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, good point. <laughs> 
I don't think that's going to fly. Anyway, that was that was that was the sort of roundabout way. But um, anyway, you so you've got the you you've got hold of one of the Behringer drum machines, right? The eight hundred eight. Ah, yeah, okay. I guess yeah. that's is I, it prototype or production? What have you got there? Uh, I think it's near it's near production. It's near. I think we're going to see them. I think in the next month or so. Okay. So I think they're very, very, very close. So this is, um, I think this is a, like a production-ready sample. Um, and the thing is, it's massive. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, it's like, like it's a really big device. It's big. It's back. It's not quite as big as the original, but it's bigger than the boutique, right? It's kind of bigger in some dimensions. I was trying to find the dimension. I think it's a little bit wider. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, but I mean, certainly compared to the boutique, it's probably about four four times as big as the boutique. And I was thinking about the boutique because I really enjoyed reviewing that, and I enjoyed I enjoyed using it, and I enjoyed the whole experience of it being uh, like a recreation of the original. Like here we are, yeah. here's you know here's like a really you know beautifully done little recreation. Whereas this thing isn't a recreation. There's only certain aspects of it. Of yeah, they've changed the thing. input, haven't they? They've changed the the programming yeah. situation yeah, the and programming. some of the processing. Yeah, the programming is, and there's a lot of uh, like buttons, like there's you know beat repeat buttons and stuff along the front here, and there's uh, you know um, auto big auto scroll button, really big auto scroll button, which is you know which is a really cool thing to do with. What's that? The the practicality it'll just so so when you're scrolling more than 16 steps if ah so it'll move, yeah steps, yeah okay so it fo it'll, it'll, it'll follow move, it'll follow right. but it's a big button you don't have to go hunting around for it so i mean i know that sounds like a like not a major feature but it's, it's good, like yeah. it's really good because is it making a noise and, oh it can make a noise yeah sure can you hear that has that got the uh yeah it sounds quite tight it's hard to get the bass down the mic, obviously, but it is. Um, they've done a few things on the voicing. So, like on the bass drum, for instance, there is a tuning knob that wasn't on the original. So you can, uh, but helpfully, there is these little orange dots which show the default positions. Oh, I don't know if I can, if I can see. Oh that. yeah, oh uh, yeah, I see. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, you can see little dot, orange dots. So, um, so for instance, on the tuning, you know, you get the tuning on the kick and. Um, can you hear that okay? Do you need me to turn it up? Well, it's, yeah, it sounds like I can hear it, but it's just thwack. There's no doom. Thwack. Yeah. Uh, well, you've got oh, yeah, quite, a go. long, quite a longish decay. Hang on. If I put this around. You're pointing your mic at this. Yeah. Okay. I like a tone control, which takes kind of the tack. And then the tuning. Okay. That's nice. And it's got that, what's it? It's like a wave hammer, wave shaper, sort of transient yeah. designer so, thing on it as well, isn't it? Yeah. So if I root that bass drum into it, we can do this. Um, that's without it. That's with right. it. Okay. That's quite extreme, isn't it? Crank, cr yeah, extreme, cranked up, yeah. But then rooted that through to the filter then, and you've got a high pass or a low pass. Ah, okay. Interesting. But that's like a... 
But it's like a bus, though, you know, it's basically ah, yeah, things okay. either go to it or don't go to it. You just choose what you want to go to it. Um, so, you know, it's not mega flexible. But, I mean, the thing, you've got to give it to them. Look at that on the back. Look at Multiple all Multiple quarter-inch jack-outs. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. I mean, they're kind of giving what a lot of people want, which is the simplicity and lovely purity of the 808 sound. But with the kind of connectivity, you know, it's got USB MIDI on it as well, as well as, you know, you know, and we've got three DIN plugs on there, you know, they've done it, you know, it's, they're not skimped on the good stuff, you know? Yeah, That's I suppose the, so. <laughs> but it's big. I mean, it is a big thing. You could, it takes up uh, a lot of What's it going to be about 300, 300 quid or something, is it? Do you know how much it is? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I think so, yeah. Right. So okay. it's like, whoa. But, you know, I think for some people, though, the little TRO8 is probably more what they might be looking for, which is like if they want a historic kind of drum machine, then that's I, I think it's nice how they can both coexist. Um, th this isn't necessarily coming out and being the most definitive 808 uh, historically. You know, it's it's kind of in a way, I think it's like the 808 two it's a, mm, you know it's sort of, i know it's, it's uh, but then, then it comes it, so synth anatomy says in the chat room hi tom uh 299 us so yeah it's going to be around about yeah. 290 something like that oh, crazy yeah crazy i suppose the I thing mean, is and this was interesting because I, I did an interview with uh dave rossum uh it was brilliant i had a big chat with him about kind of stuff and he was what he's really, you know, he's all throughout his career. Uh, he's been helped by and helps people who design things and will help, you know, will review people's designs for instruments and synths. And he, he was involved in the uh, design review for the LM1, you know, right the way from back then to kind of where we are now and still does it. And, you know, and uh, reviews people's papers on certain things. And, you know, the one thing that he's really hot on is attribution, you know, and that's the thing that I think I, he, that he, he mentions it without mentioning names, but I think he was kind of mm. a bit disappointed about the way that Behringer don't really attribute very uh, generously to the people who've come before and made the, what they're doing now possible. And I think that's one of the things that he was... Uh, and I think they could okay. handle that perhaps a little bit more graciously, yeah. couldn't they, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point, because then it's sort of a... Yeah, I think that could be goodwill that would be necessary, really, yeah. to kind of cure... Yeah, nothing some... wrong with that. Yeah, good. Um, but, you know, it, it is interesting enough that... What I like about this thing is kudos to the Manchester team because they don't they're not prepared to just do uh straight clones. They wanna kind of you know, like they wanna sort of innovate and make something new. And they did that with the Deep Mind. The Deep yeah. Mind started off as essentially as a clone project of a of a of a Juno one oh six. And then and it's a very evolved synthesizer. With a flavour of, I think it's a really, you know, I think it's a fair, a cool thing. Well, well, cool. What's, what's that called, by the way? Is it, what's the actual, um, what's it going to be called? What's the model number of it? What's it actually? Oh, it's called the, uh, it's called the RD808. So the rhythm. Designer. I think they should call it 809. That would be the <laughs> yeah. thing to call it. RD809. That right. would be. As a follow, as a kind of. Yeah. Because it's sort as of. A as a. It follows on. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's another yeah, thing. Uh, but well, yeah. that, while we're on the subject, I mean, I wasn't going to do this, but um, 
the there's also there's been you know there's been talk of uh, these designs for the DSA eighty, yeah, which is the eight, uh, this is look the third one, isn't it? This is the because the first yeah. iteration had all the kind of yeah. the memories in that left hand panel, which seemed it? a bit stupid, really. But this looks yeah. a bit more like it. So this again is just a design. It's a design study. Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting process, isn't it? Making it so public. This design and they're looking process. like. Oh, Hold on, I don't think we want any of that. Uh, so uh, we've been carefully listening to your suggestions and come up with a new design, and yes, we're aiming for poly aftertouch. So, yeah. Poly aftertouch, uh, bang! Which is the deal. And well, it looks like... That's it looks the like. Have they put a strip on that? Because that's the key, isn't it, as well? Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah. The actual uh, oh, actually, touch strip. Yeah, yeah, oh, look at the long... It's got the long strip now. Yeah. So I think the early one had a much shorter strip. Good luck, good luck with being able to make that for anything approaching affordable, I suppose. But uh, uh, if anyone can make it hmm. affordable, they can. But I guess the other thing is they haven't, they've not really gone after any of uh, Yamaha's uh, legacy designs. And Yamaha are a very different beast when it's it like, comes to it's like, legal muscle, I think. <laughs> yeah, right, but my, it does bug me, though, that sort of poly aftertouch has to be sort of such a you know, kind of luxurious thing. I don't understand why poly after such hasn't been more widely adopted on lower. I mean, I don't know if, is it just it's simply more expensive, really expensive? Yeah, more expensive because you've got is a sensor per key. I know, but is it significantly more expensive? Because, I mean, it makes an instrument so much more versatile and beautiful, I think. Well, it makes yes. it feel so uh, much more. Well, not only do you have to have a sensor per key, but you also have the ability for per note expression in the synth engine. So that's a sort of polyphonic... Right has to be polyphonically a bit able to respond. So it depends on the engine. I mean, and not everything works. I mean, okay. to be honest, I remember when when uh, there was aftertouch on most of the keyboards I was using in the 90s for remixes. Yeah, and I, ju yeah. I just filter it out because it was a pain. It would just kept clogging up the middle. So I never, never used to use it, you know. And then I was playing, uh, well, actually, Jim... Uh, he was playing the Jupiter 6, uh, Jim Haywood, Ear Monkey Music, who was, uh, did a bunch of stuff for Superbooth with us as well. He came mm. here for a couple of days last week. He's back in California now. And he was playing the Jupiter 6. through. We tried it through the clouds and through the uh, Ventress. And it just sat, I mean, that's got no velocity at all or anything. And it just it sounded so, so good. <laughs> So you don't, need, you don't need it, you know. Right. It's not, it's not okay, you don't need it. Okay, no, all right, but Some... but it, it it is lovely. It is lovely and under underused. Because um, uh, I've been, you know, I, I'm I'm really into this because of the MIDI bass. Because I want to have yeah, well, you know, all, all the kind of well, not so much aftertouch actually, but just individual voice. Um, uh, you know, fully independent individual voices. Um, Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you know, I, I was thinking about Superbooth and I was wondering about any trends or anything that we saw this year that we could kind of, you know, if, if it, it might be a bit too early to spot these trends. But, um, you know, how like uh, we've seen a return to FM. I mean, like last year, FM was quite was a lot more buzzy, wasn't it? I wonder at Superbooth this year if there was anything that that kind of... Digital, I think. 
digital, digital. for me you see you know stuff that just fancy digital i mean yeah. talking to uh talking to dave rossum you know he's got some analog stuff in 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 his things mm -hmm. but he said the thing that excites him mostly is you know he loves analog engineering and that's his kind of bag but he said the thing mm -hmm. that's mo most powerful and the most in dave smith you ask him he's the same that the stuff you can do with digital is so far outweighs what is possible with analog these days because because of the the you know because of the, because the, of the flexibility level of dsp of the level of dsp yeah. and all of that stuff yeah that's interesting because i mean like you talk about the ventris the ventris is is such a quality reverb in a pedal i mean the dsp that it must have um must be i don't know comparable to rack units of the i don't know fairly i was i don't know fairly recent history rack units it sounds that good quality so it I is interesting a picture of it that's, a, that's that thing that i often use in the uh in the, uh, but, in the Friday fun thing, and it's got the and it's got the two the two independent reverbs in that as well. But it's almost a bit too rich as a. It's amazing, isn't it? But but I, the point I'm I'm saying though is that the DSP advances at, at at certain rates. I think that seeing that level of DSP in stomp boxes, um, you know, because I reckon that the Zoya, the Empress Zoya, that's going to have to have fair, a fair bit of hoof behind it, isn't it? I um, would think so, yeah. So that, I mean, that's another thing. But the other thing I would say from Superbooth is because of the new Curtis chips, whether they're actually the original uh, or... Uh, so you're seeing a lot of voices coming out, a lot of polysynths coming out. You know, I mean, I don't know whether the uh, MFB uh, eight-voice analogue, which has got three VCOs per voice, whether that's using Curtis chips or what. I mean, but all of the... And, and they're developing new ones. I spoke to a chap, I think I've got his card somewhere, who was from uh, the organisation, and he was telling me about... Uh, I can't find my cards, actually. And he was saying that they're developing new things. But all of this stuff, you know, what Ben was saying last week on the show, the fact that, you know, these these kind of VCO, VCF or VCA combos in chips means that you can just apply voltage you know, at the correct point. So you can you can design your heart away without having to build that. But that's going to result yeah. in a certain amount of sameness, I suppose. So, Well, yeah, very good point. Very interesting, though. Blimey. Yeah. Um, and that, that sameness, I wonder, yeah. So, I mean, when you do get familiar with a, like, uh, with a particular filter, like the MS-20 filter has had, like Korg have been sort of using it quite a lot in recent years, haven't they? Sort of... Yeah. Um, in things like the monotrons and 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 I, I mean that's a lovely filter to to, to pick but um do they i mean when does the sameness when do you start noticing that sort of oh well i think uh, to be honest I think you, yeah you you could it depends on how hot you run things and how you know how yeah. much signal you put in what the gain structure is all of those things will add up to that same thing um hold that thought because i i did forget to do mm. the ads last week and i think i would mm. like to maybe not do that again this week that was <laughs> don't really forget <laughs> Ah, yes, of course, Softube. You may have seen them. Uh, they were very kindly sponsoring our Superbooth coverage. And uh, this is an ad for the Parallels, uh, which is their—it's actually their first virtual instrument that's not modular-based. So this is kind of a first for them. And we heard it at Superbooth, and it sounded really nice. Two parallel source sections uh, with wave-shaped pre-recorded multi-waveforms, so you could scan through some quite drastic changes per wave, 100 of them taken from all sorts of uh, rare and in some cases unreleased things. It sounded lovely actually. 
Uh, they've got uh, 14 voices, so seven per side. Uh, you've got five sophisticated types of modulation, LFO, random, Euclidean sequence, and step sequence or envelope. Also, you've got uh, modeled filters, uh, analog to filter type state variable, which it seems you've got to have that these days. V uh, Vactral LPG and resonant peaks. And this is stuff that they've, they've got the chops from their modular stuff, which, as we know, is also uh, pretty hot but if you want to check it out uh, do go to softtube.com it's no longer on offer but i think it's 149 bucks but if you didn't get the chance check out the video that we shot at uh, uh super booth where mm. christopher Elvis he showed us parallels and it sounded bloody great i have to say mm. um yes but you're right i mean so so in terms of trends i mean there will be mm. both analog and digital and i think the thing about the what's probably likely to happen it's the things like the digital control of the analog which is yeah is the interesting stuff because you could do some just sort of fascinating things that you just can't do with other things. And we've talked at length before about how digital is great, but you then have to spend so much time trying to make it sound less than perfect because it's too great sometimes. <laughs> you know. I don't know. What did you think? I yeah. mean, what was your kind of sense takeaway from Superbooth? Did you have a sort of this is, did you see any spot any trends that are you ahead of time, do you think? Um, possibly. Things like in Eurorack, like those um, MIDI, uh, uh, like the Bifaco MIDI um, box, uh, just like uh, lots of sophisticated MIDI implementation. And, you know, and we, t I mean, we talked about this last week as well, um, the, the PolyEnd um, preset, you know, just sort of bring in aspects into Eurorack from another sort of realm, you know, I think. Oh, well, Does that make I, sense? I, yeah. Yes, I do. But I think it, it kind of it goes back to what we were also discussing, which is the fact that Eurorack is a pain to reproduce things on. So therefore, right. are we going to start seeing... I think, I think maybe what we're going mm. to see is something that's a bit more hybrid. Something that maybe maybe should have. I was because I was talking to John Price from Kenton, and he was showing me his stuff, and mm. he was sort of going, "What do you think we should do?" And I was saying, "Well, I reckon what you should do is look at uh, a control voltage matrix, so that you can attenuate, invert, bl blend, mix." You know, and I've, I've spoke about this before. It was like the matrix brute. If the matrix of the matrix <laughs> brute was available, right, was maybe sixteen by available. sixteen or thirty-two by thirty-two, and you could pro and you could right. use that to program at the heart of things. Then you could throw CV out and audio signals, do all kinds of stuff. You know, I think yeah, there's almost the a utility. Stuff. There's almost a utility tool there, which is it, it, it's a sixteen by sixteen matrix combined yeah. with a, 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 a DC coupled audio interface combined with you know Whoa. some kind of programmable. I think there might be some of that coming on, and then combine yeah, that. Wow. That sounded red hot. <laughs> yeah, it's only going to be about four or five grand, I imagine. But yeah, <laughs> but but no, that's interesting. It's interesting. It's sort of trying to harness the good stuff without having to make things a pain in the bum. If you can kind of, well, I mean, I was thinking about that though. I mean, things like like the matriarch is normal, doesn't it? You know, you've got you've got like a full synthesizer going on, normaled. Yeah. But then, like the grandmother as well, and you can break that apart with patching it, and um, and that's kind of an interesting. Is there a? I'm just trying to think what actually analog four electron work quite well in that way. Now you can have um, CV signals on the inputs now on the analog four on the Mark two. Ah, uh, yeah. So. Okay. Um, 
that that's got a very so yeah so i guess there's there's a Sorry. there's a hybrid world of that isn't there so that's hybrid. where we're going yeah so i mean you can have cv inputs to the Mindalog xd as well that's got uh, a pair of cv inputs. oh right so you can and and i i checked it out and i follow i i in fact what i did is i used an external envelope which was a full adsr yeah. and routed that back into the filter because it's only an ad filter on the actual uh, envelope on the actual bit so you can you could use a combination of midi to trigger the envelope and then this control voltage back from the envelope in so you can create these kind of hybrid uh, systems but if you had all of that that's in, proper hybrid yeah so yeah that, so i think that's where it's going to go because people mm. also want repeatability you know i mean it's all fun well and good to be standing at a huge system and yeah. just feeling boots I, I also did an interview with uh, richard devine which i know i spoke about again last week but you know about he mm. was trying to get aim for repeatability as well so you know i wonder if that's mm. where it's going to because it, it's convenience you know we all the human race gravitates towards convenience which is why we've got supermarkets which is why we've got all of these things that develop to service our needs and we sort of aim towards the path of least resistance so i think that's ultimately where things will go interesting so i mean i was just thinking then though but perhaps it's more of a, a, a nam thing but um those oscillators digital oscillators that are kind of highly configurable and sort of so so the audio uh the, the micro freak and the mini log xd and obviously the the pro log as well those that kind of idea uh and then having that inside of a perhaps a more traditional analog synth but having that that really interesting expansion of the oscillator that could be a kind of current trend couldn't it maybe um, mm, you know, because yeah. because when did we first? I suppose the Dave Smith ones had that, didn't they? When they started putting, um, didn't they? They did sort of digital oscillators, didn't they? Sort of in. Well, I mean, uh, yes. In fact, there's a there is in fact uh, there's a um, there's a story, isn't it? The Pro Two has has just been discontinued. Oh yes, um, yes, and that was story. I think that was one of the first DCO or mm. one of one of his first DCO since. But it was it was also right. one of the first sort of uber polysynths of the new era i mean it was kind of, of ridiculous wasn't it what yeah. it had to, i think because we I, I did actually have a thing what was it was it doty yeah because there's a there's this which is doty going on uh doty's eight or nine part review of the uh, <laughs> of the pro 2 uh which is more like a kind of manual in many ways have i got audio here yeah. i don't know it doesn't seem to be any audio i wonder what's happened to that then that's annoying hmm mm. away. Uh, i mean oh, well, i wonder what what do you think? Do you think there's going to be a Pro Three or something, or because, or do you think that it's kind of its place has become a little bit more confused with the later synths? Uh, you know, it's an interesting question because, you know, manageable polysynths that are a bit like the uh, like the XD and the Mini Log and Four Voice sort of stuff. You know, you know, to the UDO. You know, are all seem to be what people could handle but you've got the moog one which is incredibly expensive obviously 16 voice and the mm -hmm. the difficulty with having to manage that much analog asset inside a thing i mean i saw a picture the other day of somebody and it's like it's like four boards stacked up inside i mean it's absolutely rammed full of things and just the complexity of managing and getting a project like that to work properly as you release it which 
I'm not sure they've quite got by the sound of things. You know, there's there's still firmware updates. There are people saying, "Oh, can it do this?" There, I've had a problem with this, that, or the other. I'm not saying it's broken, but I'm just saying it's not it's not out of the gate 100% as good as it can be. You know, and so manage somebody taking on a project like that as a manufacturer is kind of almost like, well, why would you do that? You want to make something that you can actually finish, sell, send off, not then spend the next three years having to do firmware updates to kind of make sure it reaches the, the potential that you'd hope because it's more difficult and more complicated than you thought it was going to be. So I wonder mm. whether we're going to see, again, you know, not so much the largesse of uh, something like that. I mean, that's like a, a, a flagship project. I suppose, you know, the, the Behringer D, uh, DS80, if that comes along, that's going to be something that's... But that's going to be a few years away. So I think there's still, the there is st there's still some difficulty in being able to manage that much analogue stuff. You know, it's very difficult. Yeah. That's why when you turn a synth on that's got a lot of voices, analog voices, it takes ages before you can make a sound because it's got all its tune-up routines. Because, I mean, <laughs> it's got to. Otherwise, it would be out of tune. So, you know, and, and that's not what necessarily people want. You know, say you had, uh, you're doing a live set with a, with a Moog 1, you're probably, you know, and, it, and, and the power went down or something, you know. I mean, yeah, you might have UPS if you're operating at that level. But if you haven't, it's a minute probably before you can make any noise with it. Right gosh yeah that's but, kind of uh, and that's not a, just a Moog thing that's anything with that many voices is going to take a while to get ready I mean the, the if it's been in tune if it's if it's all tuned up and then it loses power and then tunes back turns back on again aren't they won't they get into tune a lot quicker aren't they sort of I don't know but I mean if that were the case it would have to have a memory of the state it was in when it when it uh, when it was at when it was before it was switched off do you see what I mean? I don't well, think so. Yeah, because it's, it's just it got on. a routine. A routine would it be a routine? Would be a routine, no matter what. It's still going to have right. to calibrate itself. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I noticed um, the Medusa is an interesting. <laughs> what you're talking about in terms yeah. of a product becoming more mature after it's been on sale for a while. Um, you know, I think that did come out too early because now it's on version 2.0 we, we did a, i've got it yeah yeah you did on, you did that here yeah um and I've, I've got it installed on this medusa and been playing around with that and there's some really nice features in it sort of um the drones are great and i think one of the features which is super cool is you can put in sequences i mean i think we did do this in our little video but but you can choose particular steps within that sequence and then apply some randomness to it so it'll pick so say the the sequence is locked into a particular scale it'll randomly pick notes out of that scale for that one step so you can have you know, all your steps going as normal except that every time it passes that one step it can randomize the notes will change okay but within whatever the scale is so that's that's pretty I've cool got, have you seen yeah, that yeah i mean i get I, I suppose that it's cool but i mean how many times a year would you use that feature i suppose i mean that i think, oh, I I think, think ooh, that, yeah maybe maybe a, a bunch I could, I could understand that i i, I think the thing mm. is with something like a medusa or anything that has an unfamiliar interface is it's going to take a little while for things to come to fruition because it's going to take a while for the designers and the users to yeah. kind of go oh this would be a really good way to use these things and you know 
Yeah. I, and I, I know I spoke, I've spoken to the guys at Polyend, and they said, you know, it, perhaps we went a wee bit early when we could have just got some of those killer features in in the firmware. But with you know, you also they're human. They're really excited. They're going, wow, look what we've done! Isn't it amazing? You got to see yeah. it. It's the same with the UDO yeah. guys, didn't they? You know, they weren't really ready for prime mm. time at Superbooth. Fortunately, mm -hmm. it didn't sound mm. rubbish, and George did a presentation that made everybody think, oh, this is great, and he was endearing. You know, it wasn't just like you're having a laugh. It was kind of, oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. But it can go yeah. either way, can't it? <laughs> As we've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm delighted how well that has been received, though, because, you know, it, it, George has focused extremely, you know, on, on trying to get the absolute fundamental yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, right. you, we did we did go up. We, you mentioned that last last week, actually. Sorry, I don't you mean did, to cut you off, but I'm trying not to. No, come, no, you're right. Try not to go over again. You're right. But yeah, you're, you're right. absolutely right. You are right, though. Okay, look, let's let's uh, yeah. let's do let's do our um, our uh, isotope thing, and then we'll come back with uh, cool. another couple of topics. RX continues to be the industry standard and leader in audio repair for music and post production. And with RX-7, we've introduced groundbreaking new ways to quickly and easily fix and manipulate audio. Take the game-changing Repair Assistant, an intelligent helper that can detect noise, clipping, clicks, hum, and more. Also new in RX-7 is Music Rebalance, a powerful source separation tool. Drums too loud? Vocals not loud enough? Let's fix that. You can also create instrumental versions of songs by removing the vocal elements. You can now alter the pitch without affecting the timing of your audio, and conversely, alter the time without affecting the pitch with the new variable time and variable pitch modules. Using the new dialog contour, you can improve the performance of a line or even create a new performance by altering the pitch contour of the dialog, therefore adjusting the intonation of the speaker. And introducing Dialog Dereverb, a module powered by machine learning to reduce the presence of reverberations around dialogue. RX-7, a new frontier in audio repair. And of course, you can download a demo of Isotope's excellent audio tools. Uh, if you go to isotope.com, uh, they got 10-day free demos with that. And we have a winner from last week's competition. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, this is a guy called Wayne Rand, uh, who is called at Wayne Random, who's from Brooklyn. Uh, let me win. Well, I, I am letting you win. It wasn't me that let you win. It was the random, uh, bizarrely, also random, uh, number generator, which we, we use. And that pick your number out and that's it. So uh, well done. Um, so if you want to get in touch, Wayne Random, uh, we will be able to get you a copy of RX7. And we've got another competition this week. Uh, we're looking for the hashtag GoToAudioTools. You could win a copy of RX7. All you need to do is tweet the following. The hashtag GoToAudioTools, that's one word. And the hashtag RX7 to at Sonic State and at Isotoping. That's a Twitter competition. So tweet those two things, and there's 140 characters or more now these days. You can put whatever you want in there. Do it because it's uh, always fun to see it go by. And as we know, the people at Isotope they do they have a social wall, so they follow all their hashtags. Uh, so yes, the hashtag go to audio tools, the hashtag RX7 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. will get you uh, into the competition to win a copy of RX7. Um, okay, right, here we go. And I'm going to play this because uh, it's a sort of happy birthday. <laughs> I was a bit late. Rick Wakeman uh, was 70, can you believe it, on the 18th of May, which is, uh, what are we at now? We're at the 20-something, aren't we? Only four days ago. 
And it struck me, A, you know, what an amazing legacy he's got, you know, because he did, not only has he got his kind of caped persona, but he played on so many records, so, so many things. And this video is really funny. It's basically, it's minutes and minutes of him just sort of working his way around his various keyboards. He ends up, so he's on the G Mega, then he's on, so it's a pretty long solo. It's all very quarterly. There we go. So he's not, I don't know if he's, he's got the Mini Moog in there, so it's, it's his little solo spot. But I thought we could play it. I thought it's fair enough. Happy birthday, Rick. I did interview Rick once. It was yeah. almost impossible because he was uh, working with Dave Spears on the Mini Monster. And obviously Rick's a famous Mini Moog player. And uh, Dave, very kindly, I've told this story before, uh, but it, uh, um, very kindly got me an interview with him. And he was just... Everything he said was pretty much unpublishable. So, so we, I don't think <laughs> I can't remember whether we actually used any of it in the end because he was saying all kinds of stuff that was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to put that online, Rick. But um, he was a he's a bit of a prankster. But yeah, 70 years old, eh? Imagine. I know. Yeah. I guess he's still playing, still doing his thing, isn't he? Yeah. There's some good footage of him playing with. Um, well, kind of yes has kind of split into two again, as they did in the 1980s. You know, they, there's the yes, which is um, yes Inc. Which, and- uh, the real Which, yes. Well, there's the there's the yes with Steve Howe and Alan White and the one that Chris Squire was in before he sadly passed. They they they're the ones who sacked John Anderson and got and got a singer in from a yes tribute band to replace him, which is just unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable. But anyway, John Anderson has now been going out with um, Rick Wakeman and Trevor Rabin from like you know the eighties. Yes, very different. You know, the um, 90125 era, yes. Um, but that Rick Waitman wasn't part of, strangely enough, Rick Waitman was part of the 70s one. Uh, yeah, it's a bit confusing. It's a very confusing legacy with that band. But the reason why I was mentioning that, though, is that, like, um, Rick Waitman's now playing, it's called Yes, but they can't use. Let's just be called the... No. <laughs> it should just be a, a Yes and a No. But the, 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 the Yes logo is owned by Steve Howe you know the kind of curvy roger dean yes logo so um when they when it's john anderson rick waitman and trevor rabin it's this kind of like 80s sort of graphic of the word of the name yes it's kind of a bit of a weird thing that the band's going out but just the graphic is the uh the thing that tells you which version it is <laughs> Yeah, uh, Steve um, anyway, Elbow. Sorry, sorry I, Steve Elbow says in the chat room. I think I've seen Rick more on the old TV program, Grumpy Old Men, more than I've ever seen him play live, and that's true. He's a, he's yeah. a real character. He's got some great stories, but again, none of them are really publishable. I expect he's got a book in him. He's probably done a book. I'd imagine it's probably worth reading. Um, the, 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 he's a funny the, guy. The reason, the reason I brought this up really was, you know, what are I mean, what are these equivalents? I mean, I guess the only one I can really think mm. of is Jordan Rudess, who is a sort of modern day Rick, but he's. He's he's almost Rick oh, Corey every, Henry. Every well, no, it's not the same thing though, is it? It's Corey Henry is a is, is a so brilliant player. He's more like your Joe Zawin mm-hmm. or your kind of Chick career, but your your kind of Rick Wakeman, your keyboard wizard style person. I mean, nice. and, I mean, obviously Jordan Rudess does his whole thing. He's got the Wiz and his Wiz app and all of that. So he plays on that. So he's essentially a kind of ersatz. Or not ersatz. I suppose he's he's following on the exactly the same tradition, that kind of concept. But I was wondering who else there was, and I was trying to think of a few a few names. I did I did write Corey Harry, Jordan Rudess, uh, Ayalamir, Ayalamir. Yeah, Ayalamir. He's absolutely fantastic. I think he sort of um, he has done some stuff with Jordan Rudess. Um, 
and his band um, uh, Project RNL. Oh, I don't know how you spell um, that. Why don't you spell that? Uh, Not the way I've spelled Project it. Project RNL. But he's an incredible musician. Well, actually, all the band have. But he, um, I think he has a little bit of that Rick Wakeman. He's got. He's quite a showman as well. Oh, I think um, I've got something here. What's that? It can't be. He's only got one keyboard in this video. Uh, that's, not what I'm of... that's, that's not what I'm Yeah, but okay. then you see, you're, you're misunderstanding. Okay. I don't seem I'm to be able to get any I'm video. Sorry. You're misunderstanding my uh, my uh, notion, my, like the concept, right. which is it's it's that. It's almost the prog thing. It's the showman keyboard. I was wondering about show... whether or not it, it's uh, Brett Domino, you know, is... Is a ri- right, because he's okay. a theat- Sorry, Do you know I mean? There's this now. theatrical thing rather than because okay. there are brilliant. There are some brilliant keyboard players, no doubt about it. And Corey okay. Henry is superbly technical, but also very yeah. vibey. You know, there's, I would say, um, who's the guy from uh, Noah? Um, the keyboard player, oh, Lewis Cole. Lewis Cole, brilliant, brilliant, but not. I wouldn't say a kind of Rick style, gotcha. okay, style thing. So I, that, who who <sighs> is there apart from Jordan? Do you think he's the only one? There's Jeff, Down, Derek Jeff Downs, but they're the same thing. Jeff Downs. <laughs> Derek Sheridan. Sheridan. Derek Sheridan. I, can't, oh. I don't know how to say his name. Sheridan. Sorry, I'm saying his name wrong. Uh, Who does he play with? Uh, I, did he not play with um, Dream Theatre before Root Jordan? Um, possibly. Oh, I don't know. I can't, po- I can't, I'm looking for searches, but for okay. some reason my browser's not It's actually... a scene, I, I don't know it very well, that, that scene. So I suppose that's um, the thing, there, there aren't, I mean, mm, you know, there, there's... No, I think your point... I, and that's okay. a good thing, isn't it? That means that there is someone who is just so unique and so only of their kind, you know, and, and that's Rick Wakeman. I'm trying to think... Uh, yeah, Jeff Downs is coming... Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's no one really... Derek no. Sheridan, and... Sheridan, Sheridan, okay, Synth Anatomy, okay. <laughs> I think synth, I think synth, I th- I've got a secret. I think synth anatomy is a secret progger, and he doesn't he, he doesn't mention. <laughs> he was very quick uh-huh. off the mark there. Uh, Derek uh-huh. Sherinian, yes, okay. Wikipedia. Derek to signal chain mm. interview. With Derek uh, getting fired, getting fired from Dream Theater. Oh, that's not an interview we're probably going to watch. And anyway, there's no point because for some reason there's no sound in my browser. But yeah, so uh-huh. good for good for yeah. Rick. I would say. Yeah, but you're He's, right though. I mean, you know, and also having the kind of crazy off. ambition to do. And to do, you know, the sort of, you know, King Arthur on ice and these, you know, which seem like laughable now, don't they? But but really, that's 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 that is kind of indicative of some crazy belief. Coming back to that early conversation we were having, you know, the King Arthur on ice is sort of, um, yeah, you know, it's it was so much easier. Let's to punk, to didn't it? Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, I suppose, so, I mean, yeah. really, I mean, him, I wonder how much rival there, there was between him and Keith Emerson, because they were very much, mm. you know, oh, the, the big usually. three, Keith, him, Keith Emerson, maybe mm. uh, Patrick Mraz and, uh, uh, oh gosh, who's the other guy? Tony uh, Banks. Jeff Downs, Tony Banks, you know, there's this sort of, th- there's a strut, yeah, there the were gr- the, uh, an age of, of keyboard players who... The I, greatest though, and who would play the multi-keyboard, the greatest one though. Even better than Rick, dare I say, is Kerry Manier from Gentle Giant. He's the okay. best. He's the best. He's the best. And you see footage of him playing, and like, uh, say, you know, he, you'll see him go between uh, all the different keyboards. What did he have? He had about eight in the stack. Did he? He had um, Minimoog, um, 
uh, Wurlitzer, Clavinet. His Clavinet playing is amazing. Uh, gosh, what else did he have? He had a lot. Maybe he had two Whirlies, possibly. Oh, okay. Or it was a Rhodes and a Whirly. Um, it's the equivalent of two bass drums and a gong, isn't it? It's like... But uh, Rich be... Hilton, Rich Hilton... Sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rich Hilton will, will, will concur, though. I think that Kerry... I mean, okay, no, he's he's very different from Rick. It's not really fair to compare them, but uh, he's just the most remarkable, remarkable keyboard player. I've known various keyboard players, professional keyboard players, who, when I ask them, Kerry Manier is their choice. He's he's the, oh, okay. he, he, he's like the greatest of them all. Uh, and I think he is as well. Okay, well, that's fair enough. But, yeah, it's an interesting... There's not, <laughs> there's not so many of those guys, you know, because, yeah, no. I'm sure that Mike, Linda... Are we getting some names in now? But, you see, they're, they're technical. They're not... Keep, yeah, anyway. We'll... we'll uh, no, there's some interesting I, I, uh, Jim Gilmore from Saga, the Canadian band. I mean, right, he was okay. incredibly... He was right, this very, is all, very... I uh, just don't... Wally Badaru, I could, I could come up with, maybe. But uh, he's not yeah. really the same sort of thing. You know, it's not the... Oh, William D. Drake's name has been mentioned. Okay. Phenomenal. Absolutely anyway, there's phenomenal. tons of it, isn't there? Okay, well, uh, <laughs> all right, let's get on to uh, let's go on to something else. There's one other thing here, which uh, let's see if I can mm-hmm. find it. Uh, where is it? That's not it. It's there. I had it somewhere. Oh yeah, here we go. This is uh, the rhythmic robot, which is kind of. Chamberlain Rhythm 8, Rhythmic Robot Audio, have created a, a mm. version of the, the Chamberlain is sort of a tape-based uh, uh, playback thing, which obviously spawned the... Um, God, come on. Come on, brain. The, 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 the Mellotron. The Mellotron, yes, that's right. Thank you. And this was a similar sort of thing, and it did, it did the same thing for drums, and I think... Oh, this isn't going to work. I don't know what's happened to my audio. It seems to have oh. disappeared, which is a bit weird. Um, let me see if I can find out why that might be. Uh, audio... Sound flat. Yeah, it's not working. They put, they've programmed in the Amen break. Yeah. Into it. That's really weird. It's not working anyway. Mm. I can't play it. That's a bit annoying. I wonder if I can play a video, which is the original one. But it's twenty bucks. This thing, uh, and it comes with. I don't know how many. Yeah, it's cheap. It's it's reasonable, isn't it? I don't know why. Uh, yeah, why that's not working. That's very curious. Ah, hold on. I know why. I turned it off. Wow. Crikey, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty exotic, wasn't it? Uh, I found it now. It's, it's starting to work. Um, but um, they also that there's there's talk of this being the first drum machine. So I've got a video of that. Let me see what video mm. it was. It was was it this one? I think it was this the this is from P Hicks. So this is actually the the, uh, the thing itself, the Chamberlain Rhythmate. And it's again, oh it's, god, it's how the, amazing is that? It's the quality of those recordings. Yeah. And this is from P. Hicks, who's, a, who's probably the world expert on this kind of stuff. Look at that, you move. Move it through the tapes. So yeah, that's a lot of fun. But I, I'm of the mind that there's, it oh, isn't lovely. actually. Uh, well, somebody also said that, uh, no, the first one was the uh, Rhythmicon, which was Leon Theremin's thing. So this is a video of, oh. I think, the Rhythmicon. But when yeah. you listen to it, I would argue that it's not really a drum machine at it's all more, in no. any way right. whatsoever. <laughs> Sounds like a flock of baby ducks. <laughs> so 
I don't know. I mean, it was the 1930s. So whoever it yeah. was put in the comment, I'm not sure about that. Okay. <coughs> no, it's it, drum machines got to be so good enough that you could actually use in in place of a drummer, I guess. You know, to, yeah, or you could, to some to, degree. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. That's for, you know, for it to qualify for this particular what a drum machine is, I would have thought to, a machine that if you plays get drums. Into the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. John Van Eaton says it, the Sideman could be it. Was that a Fender? Was that Well, it's a Sideman, was it? Sideman. Okay, I'm going to look that up now. Uh, yeah, I well, think that could be, couldn't it? Because, I mean, when did uh, when did those rhythms start appearing on sort of home organs? Oh, that's very difficult. You, yeah. Well, it's a Sideman. Well, well, it's a Sideman is what I'm looking mm. Let's see. If um, I can find a video. Well, it's a Sideman. Here we go. It's a tube oh. drum machine. Let's have a look at this one. Oh, yeah. Is that actually playing? Oh man, that sounds nice. It does, doesn't it? Oh look at that! Ah. Yeah, I think that could possibly be right. <laughs> so each of those solder That's points is cool. presumably a rhythm, right? Yeah. That bass drum sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, okay, I don't know what date that was, but that's a good call, good shout. Now, that is yeah, you could thing use of that beauty, isn't it? In place of a drummer, couldn't you? I would say so. Oh, look at that. <laughs> and that's the gearing that slows down. Oh, wow. Oh, brilliant. So, look. So, you bring it in, that's and it's cool. just really simple gear. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? I'm so glad. <laughs> you Thanks, John Van Eaton, in the chat room. Uh, yeah, good, good, good find. Oh wow! Um, he says, actually, yes, I've got one of those. It's like 1956 or 59. Yeah, I'd say that beats the uh, Chamberlain. Chamberlain was 60 something, wasn't it? So, mm, I think was it? Yeah, like 60. Yeah. I, and the uh, who was it who said mm. that in the uh, Sinister Goatfish says that old synth smell, and it kind of it <sighs> would have smelt like a very old valve radio. I don't know if you remember. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to buy stuff like that from jumble sales, you know, car, car boot sales equivalent. And I'd bring them home and you turn them on and the smell that you get from a valve radio when you switch it on, which is all that waxed yeah. cardboard heating up and all the dust on the valves. <laughs> the dust. Yeah, it's very yeah. evocative, isn't it? Mm, lovely. So, so do we think we've got a winner then for Drum Machine? Are we going to say the, are we going to say the Wurlitzer Sideman? The first one. The Wur yeah, well, so far, I yeah. think the Wurlitzer, the Wurlitzer Sideman gets gets the earliest that is actually mm. a drum machine so good call what about programmable drum machine then wow uh, what was the mm. first programmable drum machine now that is a really yeah. good question i that's... mean that's the sort of thing i feel i should know off off you know <laughs> off i should know this too the first yeah. programmable the, the, drum machine. the chat room surely will know first it's, programmable um... drum machine because mm. I mean, like the 808, that that was one of the things. Apart from the sound that made it special, was you could program complete, quite sophisticated song arrangements into it. So right. I mean, I don't know if that would qualify, but I mean, I'm, but I mean, you know, you could chain together, you know, like um, drum patterns in all sorts of time signatures and that sort of thing. You know, you, you're pretty, you can go quite deep in that respect with the 808 as a well, according to this rhythmic uh, this mixed down mag uh mm -hmm. it goes from rhythmicon which i i would actually do it i would i would challenge that uh rhythmicon to the world it's a side man okay to the cr78 but that's not programmable was mm -hmm. it 
to no, to the well, LM LM one. Okay. I don't know if the LM one was the first programmable one. Good call. But, um, I've never really been much of a drum machine person, so I, I, I'm afraid. But I mean, again, I mm. refer back. I'm, I can't wait to get this. I'll, I'll pro, pro, uh, put this out soon. This is the uh, Dave Rossum. Uh, Dave Rossum was involved in the design review for the LM1, as well as all of this incredible kind of uh, sampling. You know, some of the stuff that he's he's been he's had a hand in is kind of the essence of what we now call digital audio workstations, effects, recording. Samplers. That's amazing. That's I mean, a it's just he's huge. Just, yeah, great. Because he was emu. He was he, he's the guy behind emu sample. Was the emu side? Emu, sampler, yeah, wasn't yeah. He? he was the wow. He, and uh, not only that, but the uh, modular, they built a modular, um, the and sort of, uh, the Emu modular was the first one. Uh, but then it was the first, one of the first people to kind of understand the, 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 uh, the kind of the possibilities of digital and uh, how he kind of figured it out. He was really interesting. He was telling me as he, as he was, when he was a kid, uh, his dad was really not into music because his mother, uh, I think was married to a musician who also happened to be a drinker and you know wasn't a, was a bad sort so his dad had learned that musicians were not something to be encouraged so Roger uh, so Dave was never you know they weren't actually allowed to like music or play music because it was like bad stuff could happen and now he's a massive hip hop fan because <laughs> of all of the stuff <laughs> yeah. that he's enabled it's a brilliant you know it's that's excellent. cool uh, so Divkid has kind of popped up in the comments. Uh, 1972, Eco re released the Computer Rhythm, 1972, uh, which was the first programmable drum machine. Okay. Uh, um, and then the CR78 was programmable if you bought the, uh, the programmer. So, so um, I haven't seen that. That would be interesting to see, the CR78 programmer. Okay, fair enough. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, this is 1972. Someone's been on Goo. I, I chat. Was that? I, I wonder if Ben knew that or he just looked it up and and, and posted that link. <laughs> Here we go. This is it. That's cool. Oh, look at that. That's nice. Oh, I like that. Oh, I want. <laughs> That looks like sixteen steps, doesn't it? But you were doing twelves yeah. there. There was a, there was definitely triplets going on. So, oh, well, there you go. Lovely. Wow, that's an awesome thing. Wouldn't it be lovely to have one of those just about the place? <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Now come on, Beringer. That's what we want. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's cool. Um, I was thinking when you were talking about uh, emu. I remember firing up an an emu two. An emulator two, big old grey thing, yeah. um, and putting the floppy disks into it, and just uh, hearing it, hearing this, it that was an incredible sounding sampler. That was, I mean, I'm guessing twelve bit, or would it be, would it have been eight bit? No, twelve uh, I bit, don't, probably. Yeah, it? eight or twelve, I would um, think. But with probably but with I mean, analog filters, I would imagine. It sounded absolutely immense, and I'm fairly sure it still would sound immense. Um, it's a long time since I've heard one, um, but uh, I guess you could probably retrofit a kind of SD card into one now. Oh yeah, you? yeah, I'm sure I'm that people that, do that. 
people do that and then, then fit mm. the entire library. So, it's like the history of sampling on one SD card. <laughs> so a friend, yeah, a friend of mine's got like, um, I can't remember, it's like one of the 90s rack emu samplers and it's got like next to no market value. But will that still have, that'll still have Dave Rossum's involvement in, will it? I imagine a lot so of the tech, because he designed some of the uh, chips that went in those, those, in, those instruments. You know, because okay, uh, so you know that he, that's what he was. He was also they 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 were building their own stuff. You know, so I mean that's the thing mm. that in the interview I talked to him about it, and they had to invent their own kind of tools to make because none of this stuff existed, or you the only place you could buy it was from right. some really esoteric kind of test company. It would cost wow. a fortune. Um, yeah. Gosh, time has flown. We seem to have managed mm. to fill all of that time with uh, with lots of words <laughs> and whatnot without without uh, without running short. Thank you, Gas. Oh, yeah, there we go. go. That That's sounds like your, your woofers are really woofing on that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is going to play a bit more with this thing. Um, I'm going to probably do a live stream on it, I think, at some point uh, uh -huh. on my channel, um, just, to, just to sort of noodle on it. Not... A, review or anything just literally a noodle yeah how, um, i mean how is but, it is it finished or is it still got a bit of stuff to do i think i think it is actually release firmware on here um so you know it's super close to them coming out and i mean it's it's going to be interesting to see how well they sell because you know as great as it is it is massive <laughs> you know i wonder so, well that's I an mean, interesting thing i mean i think there's a lot of in you know because that that video you did on the uh, TR 9 that's the biggest video we got from Superbooth. And I mean, I'm surprised. I'm not yeah. surprised it's big, but I'm surprised it's the biggest because it's not. I mean, it's a 909. I mean, I suppose the thing is, it's such an iconic thing. It's but more, maybe that's... And, but I do think it's it's like kind of more than a 909 though. It's that thing of and giving people what they want, the multiple outs, the big form factor. You know, it's sort of um, it is kind of. You think, think we're going to see a load? Of, going to see a load of blokes of a certain age going out live playing nineties rave at, <laughs> at pubs well, with, I mean, with Berenger nine oh nines. But I mean, I, I think I was alluded to this before. I mean, I wish I had the TR eight here with me just to to compare directly. Um, but I, as much as I enjoyed playing around with that, this thing does feel like it's something else you know but it does feel it has got a bit of that danger a little bit of that extra something it's uh you know i say danger do you know what i mean it's got, edge. It's just got it's an edge to it. yeah when you do mess with that filter as well and you kind of go oh okay this thing well i mean i think because i think the uh, tras had that as well the tras is that was a really it's big a great drum, drum machine. machine. It's a really good drum machine. It's a fantastic drum machine. It's arguably the best drum machine that they've ever made, you know, the, the TR-8S. It's yeah. sort of, um, you know, in terms of its it's a shame combination of... It's a shame they don't just iterate, you know. Why, why does it have to be an 8? They could be a 10. Yeah. Maybe they should go in tandem with the release of iPhones. So that would have been a yeah. 9, really, about then, wouldn't it? So it should have been a TR-9. Yeah. Oh, no, I can't, because then it's the TR-09. Yeah, yeah, maybe they've shot themselves in the foot. They have to wait until yeah. we reach double figures. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but curious to see. I'm, I'm fairly sure this is going to be a massive hit for Behringer, this one, and, and the, the 909. I think that they're not... 
so I think this is going to be available to buy in June or the end of June, maybe. No, 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 it's going to be July, a bit later actually. on, isn't it? A bit later on. Probably. I think it's going to be more like autumn time, I think, um, or early autumn. Um, but these, I think these 808s, I think if you were to put an order in now would be a good idea because I reckon they're going to be, I reckon they're going to sort of be, they're going to well, sell. They're, yeah, sell they're always, out. yeah, they're always the first run takes a little bit of time. All right, well, I think yeah. we're going to we're going to knock it on the head. We're going to say goodbye. Uh, I'm going to just quickly plug the uh, isotope uh, thing again. If you want to enter the competition, we're looking for the hashtag go to audio tools. That's one word. Well, it's it's actually four words joined together. But uh, go to audio tools and the hashtag RX7 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And that will enter into the competition. And we thank also Softube for supporting the show. Uh, Gaz, yeah, cool. sorry. Can, can we get a plug in for my Rocket Gold Sub video? Oh, like, you know what? I was, seen it. I was, I was going to play out with that. You, you were ahead of me. Oh, but yes. So this oh, is uh, Gaz, Gaz uh, obviously, Rocket Gold Star, you've done a, you did a video for this, which. Um, Tell us a little yeah. bit about it before we play, and then we'll play out, and then oh, well, uh, and then it it was just revisiting a, a a kind of a recentish tune that was just sitting around doing nothing, and I just to help sort of promote the gigs. We're doing a couple of gigs just to help promote that. I thought it'd be fun to um, to make a video, so I just I had an idea for this one uh, for this song uh, to just do lots of my head <laughs> in lots of colorful kind of this quite in your face kind of way but um I, it's kind of I, I think it goes with the song quite well but it, it, um it was literally just to sort of promote this little bit of activity because what we're going to do is we're going to in fact we're going to we're going to sort this out in the next few days we're going to put a big back catalog load of stuff up on spotify on there's a whole massive mass of stuff that's never been available and we're going to whack a load of it out over the, uh on um all the regular kind of digital channels so i suppose this video is going to be in part to promote that that because that rocket gold star you know like late 90s early 2000s we you know that's when we had our great time but there was so little of it. it's been chronicled it was before youtube it's before social media as we have as we have now so so very little of it exists. It's almost as if we made it all up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. The further so, so we're back gonna you do go. A massive, we're we're going to do a big release of a load of the old stuff. So that video, yeah, that's what this video okay. is. Okay. All right. Well, we'll play it out. Um, thank you very much, everybody, thank for you. watching. That was Sonic Talk episode uh, 577, in fact. Uh, thanks very much for watching. We'll see you all next time. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now. Who talked about TFLA? Teachers, fabulous logic. Who thought about TFLA? Teachers, fabulous logic. Who